When I was a kid, my parents always told me not to trust anything I see on the internet. And then, last week, my mom shared a news article about how Hillary Clinton was actually a Russian sleeper spy this whole time. Calling that irony doesn't quite seem to cut it. I'm sitting in a room with Dr. Stephanie Kraft, one of the leading scholars in the field of media literacy. In the last year, she's given lecture after lecture about the subject of fake news. People are begging for her help to fight this new threat that has their friends on Facebook sharing ludicrous articles claiming to have definitive proof that President Obama is the Antichrist. The thing is, this isn't new. Fake news isn't exclusive to just this last year, or to politics. Fake news has been around since Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press in 1439. Stephanie and I are looking at a painting. It's a street corner on fire. Ships are fleeing as the fire consumes everything in sight. This is a, a picture of a very famous fire that was in England in 1861. And the person who wrote about it for a German newspaper was not there, right? But this fire, as you can see, it consumed, you know, half of the one of the docks in Britain and whatever. But it was a very big story. Everybody was talking about it and stuff. And his story sort of reflected kind of what people already knew about it. And so... He would, you know, he had gathered information, you know, from afar, like you do sometimes, but then he'd also created quotes and people and stuff, but those quotes and people were made up, but they resonated with what people already knew to be true. And so no one really cared and no one really noticed so much. And it wasn't an unusual kind of thing to happen because in 1861, are you really sending your correspondent to England to cover a fire from Berlin? No, you're not. Right. So fake news in 1861 was a little bit more extreme than it is now, but as Stephanie explains, it still works in the same fundamental way. Notice how it works, right? The reason it works is that what he's saying resonates with what people think they already know about the incident in question. And so it rings true. People accept it. So there's something not new at all about fakery where it's like super obvious and meant to kind of entertain or where it's speaking to a need to or a desire to cover something from afar but not really having the resources to do it and sort of inventing a way. There's something that's not new about that at all, right? It can start as a real story and then get sort of laundered into a fake story, right? Where people can sort of add pictures that don't really go with it, right? Or like kind of hype the headline in a way that misleads or something like that. So there can be like a kernel of truth in it and then that makes it hard right? Because the whole thing isn't wrong. It's just that it's kind of contextually wrong or it's misleading or something like that. So that makes it hard. And so none of it is new. It's just that now I think it's just so much more widely dispersed and this makes it difficult to tackle that it can kind of come in so many different guises. The thing that separates OG 1861 fake news and now fake news is the same thing that separates us from every other period of history, our technology. What's different is that the ability to create and spread the stuff is just unparalleled. I mean, there's, there would have been nothing, absolutely nothing like it in the 19th century, and there was nothing really like it in the most of the 20th century either, right? And so the idea that you can create and distribute, that anyone can create and distribute that sort of thing, that's the difference, Right. There's also all these new technologies that, you know, now there's the scary thing where you can make it look like Barack Obama is saying stuff that he's not really saying. You know what I mean? Like the ability to tinker with video and audio and stuff like that also kind of 
is exponentially different than that. Now you can be sneaky. And not only can you be sneaky, but you can pursue a sort of agenda and be sneaky about it and distribute it far and wide and get liked and shared and reposted and retweeted and all that kind of stuff over and over again. With audio editing, it's incredibly easy to make someone say something that they didn't. Here's a clip from a viral video that spread around a couple years ago with anchor Brian Williams, comprised of clips of Williams' broadcasts. I said, oh, hip hop, the hipping, the hipping to the hip, hip hop. You don't stop the rocket to the bank, bank, bookie, say, up, jump the bookie to the rhythm of the bookie, the beat. For a more serious example, Fox News anchor Sean Hannity played this clip of President Obama on his show in order to criticize his tax plan. Now, the president did have a rare moment of honesty during his speech, and I hope voters around the country are watching this. Taxes are scheduled to go up substantially next year for everybody. All right, that's right. I know the anointed one will make sure that that happens. But Hannity left out the most important piece of context for that clip. Here it is in full. Under the tax plan passed by the last administration, taxes are scheduled to go up substantially next year for everybody. While some viewers may have fallen for Hannity's editing, the vast majority didn't. As Stephanie points out, the problem isn't that people don't know fake news exists. It's that they don't truly understand why. From a literacy standpoint, the issue is much more about teaching people about the economy of fake news, really, than just, oh, hey, look, it's fake, right? But to get people to think about why it is that fake news is so appealing and why is it that people would spread it, you know? And it all kind of boils down to two things. One, people create and distribute fake news for some sort of misinformation or propaganda purpose, perhaps, or they do it for the money, or both. Those two things, like kind of once you understand, like, well, why am I seeing that story everywhere about the Pope endorsing Donald Trump or whatever? Why am I seeing that so often? Well, it's because someone's benefiting by it in a way that's sort of different from how other news organizations benefit by their coverage, right? And so I think that part of the literacy question is getting people to kind of understand just that political economy of fake news, right? That now, of course, this requires <laughs> a really tricky thing where you have to get them to understand that, but not become cynical about everything. That political economy aspect means that every time my mom clicks on a fake news story, someone somewhere is getting paid for it. The guy who broke this so-called story about like, oh, all these fraudulent Clinton votes in a warehouse. This is a dude who wanted to pay off his student loans and figured that like, you know, he could sell ads on this site and he could, he made a lot of money just off that. He was trying to think of something that would resonate with people, sort of like the German correspondent covering the, the London fire, right? And he thought, well, you know, people are talking about like Clinton and the fake votes and the voter fraud and all that kind of stuff. So I bet if I do a story like that, people will, right? And so for him, it was really just a commercial thing. And he's knowing that it will get picked up because it's resonating with people somehow, right? And so part of understanding that fake news economy is understanding how it's such a targeted product in a way that like kind of other news is not targeted necessarily, right? It's meant to cover certain things, we would hope, you know, things of public import, 
but it's not targeted to elicit a certain kind of response. So it's that kind of tricky thing about fake news that's the, the idea that you can kind of create your own industry of crap and propaganda, right, and make a lot of money off it or push a particular political agenda. That's the thing that's new about fake news. What I'm calling the political economy of it, I think, is, is as important as having them look at the text of it and say, what do we think about this source? Have we ever heard of this source before? Is there evidence to support the assertion? Of the, you know, like, that's important stuff, too, but understanding the context and purposes for which, you know, that news seems to be produced is equally, I would say, important. Like I said, Stephanie is in high demand nowadays. People are desperate for any insight on how to fight this epidemic. And truly, it is an epidemic. Before, fake news was just a thing that happened occasionally. But now, thanks to increased technology and certain politicians who dismiss any criticism of them as fake news, it's becoming a major issue. What I'm starting to kind of think about is that we ought to stop using the word fake news to reference this whole thing because that increases the confusion. Like, we ought to be calling things what they are and not just putting them under this umbrella term. Like, if it's propaganda, let's call it propaganda. If it's satire, let's call it satire. If it's incorrect, like in error, right, which somehow gets called fake news somehow, let's call it that. You know, like, let's be specific about what the thing is is so that we don't confuse people into you know that then it just becomes very easy to just call anything that you disagree with fake so hillary clinton isn't a russian sleeper spy uh, probably i mean only time will tell and time will tell how we handled the fake news problem or as stephanie would rather have us say how we handled the propaganda slash satire slash bad journalism problem for graft i'm ashley miller Thanks for podcasting.